Welcome, everyone, to the CavsCorner.com podcast. CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place for Franklin States in the West End of Richmond, where it is currently July the 6th. Now, you're not hearing this anywhere remotely close to July the 6th because uh, this is an episode out of time. Uh, we're recording this in advance. Um, some of us, you know, myself raising my hand, are, are going to be on vacation uh, the week that you're hearing this. So uh, it made a lot of sense to do something a little different. And as you probably have noticed from your podcast app of choice, or maybe even from the content item um, for the episode on the website, um, I don't, I do not have my 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 normal co-host again this week. Um, this is not of their choosing, though. This was my decision. I wanted to do something a little different, and I thought I would get somebody to come in and talk about UVA basketball from maybe a different point of view than the one that you guys might hear on the reg here on the show. So I'm really glad to be welcoming uh, Eamon Brennan, who is now on, out on his own, formerly of The Athletic. Uh, first off, Eamon, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing very well. Appreciate the time. Appreciate you uh, giving me a, a little bit of your Thursday evening to, to record this. I, I mean, look, I, I have I have was for a long time, you know, out on my own, my own uh, boss, all that fun stuff. So I understand that there is a both a you know, there's a gift and a curse to that. And I'm really interested, first off, before we get started kind of drilling into to UVA basketball, take me through sort of the last few months and what they've been like for you to 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 leave the athletic, to to set out on your own, to do your own thing. How did you kind of come up with the substack? How did you sort of put together the newsletter and the idea to do what was, you know, what has now been your next step in this thing? How's how's that been going for you? It's been going great. I mean, I think the the transition from um you know, I, I used to work at ESPN for um, eight years before I was at The Athletic. And I think if I had gone from ESPN to Substack straight away, yeah, right. um, people would have been like, wait, what? You want me to pay you now? Um, <laughs> like, you you know yeah. what I mean? Like, you want yeah. me to give you a subscription? Uh, that's not how this works. You do the writing for free and I read it for free. Um, and that, you know, that obviously The Athletic, I think, conditioned a lot of people who read my stuff at ESPN to and, and a lot of sports fans and readers to kind of be okay with paying for this stuff again. Um, and so I think there's been a lot of people who have left the athletic who have um, gone on to do Substack stuff uh, or left other media outlets um, and been able to build a community on Substack. You don't need a ton of people. You know, if you do the math, um, a fraction, if a fraction of the the people that read my stuff at the athletic eventually subscribe um, to my to my Substack newsletter and get involved in the community there and become paid subscribers, um, the numbers are easy to make work once you get to a certain a certain right. level. So it right. made sense. It's the kind of thing that um, people have asked me about in the past if it was something I was can you know whatever consider doing. Um, and so yeah, when when I left the athletic, it was sort of the immediate next thing that I thought made a lot of sense and um it, it's been really good so far i mean i've i've written i think seven or eight things it's been less than three weeks um live very much a lot of stuff being figured out but the response was really great tons of people signed up uh in terms of um you know getting the email right. every time it's published uh, a strong number of people have signed up to be paid subscribers it looks like it's going to grow a fair amount it's been growing already and we're in, you know, what is it? Early July now, which right. is about as dead a time for college basketball <laughs> as it gets. So that all is all very encouraging. We'll see how it goes. It's been really 
really good so far. It's been really nice to be able to kind of write whatever you want to write on a yeah, that's, that's exactly where I was going next was to yeah. you know, the idea of you being able to kind of choose where the, um, you know, which direction the boat steers as opposed to being sort of directed in that direction. Totally. And that's going to be a constant process of, of figuring out. And the thing that's fun is, is everything comes with a ton of feedback from people who are subscribed. Obviously they're invested. It's a, a small but mighty operation. So I've gotten a lot of emails from people being like, I'd love to see this. I'd love to see that. If you wanted to start bubble watch earlier in the year, I'd be cool with that. Um, you know, stuff about like, we're going to have live chats, discord server, community style features that I think, um, you know, when you're at a big place like ESPN or the athletic, it's really hard to get going. Um, you can bring these ideas to the table and, you know, big companies may or may not be interested in that kind of thing. Right. right. Big, um, yeah. And it takes a long time for big ships to, to turn, you know, totally. Like it's, it, yes. it's just one of those realities of the business. One of the things is that I've certainly learned in a you know decade plus of sort of, you know, working on the Internet is that the feedback never stops. Um, <laughs> and so you're going to get lots of people that are going to have lots of ideas. I think the fun thing for you is going to be, especially once we get into, you know, out of the, that this sort of dead period here in the middle uh, and we get closer to the season, you know, whereas in the past you might have been at times been directed towards stories that sort of everybody else was writing. You're going to have the opportunity to sort of follow wherever, you know, you want to go and tell stories that maybe other folks aren't hearing about. And as a writer, I, I know, you know, in my own, you know, career that that is extremely refreshing and probably the exact sort of thing that, you know, not only excites you, but really kind of um, can be really reinvigorating considering, you know, the shops you've been at and sort of the experiences that you've had, it, you know, it can, it can be a real grind. And so now you have this really fresh opportunity and I'm really glad to hear that it's going so well, man. That's, that sounds like a lot of fun and it sounds like you're really enjoying it so far. It has, it's been really enjoyable. It's really fun. Like you said, there is a lot of freedom there. It's, it's been a lot of, um, you know, I, I honestly, I don't even, you know, I, I had a meeting with someone from Substack a week or two ago who was kind of kind of onboarding me and helping me get started and stuff. And, you know, he cautioned me against reading too much into anything that was happening in terms of like stories that were doing well or not well. And because he, he's just like, this is the first like two weeks. You have no yeah. idea how this is how this yeah. is going to play out. So it is it is very exciting to um, figure out how it's going to go, have a preseason where there's like you know, I'm, I'm, I'll be doing a bunch of preview stuff. I have no doubt, um, maybe a little bit offbeat or off kilter from what it would normally be. And yeah, I'm really excited to figure it out, get into the season, see how everything feels. It's, it's right. been a lot of fun so far. Now, un unquestionably, there are folks who are listening to the podcast right now who are probably already subscribed. Um, make sure you give them the, um, the info real quick before we, we move into the, into the weeds a little bit more. Sure. Yeah. So it's just my name, emanbrennan.com. Um, you could just search even Brennan Substack. You'd find it probably pretty easily. It's called buzzer, um, is the name of the newsletter. It's, uh, right now, uh, I've been doing about three times a week. Um, you know, mailbags for subscribers, Q and A's, um, depending on your level of, of subscription support, there's different perks that are available. Um, so there's all that once you get in there, but I very much appreciate anyone who just shows up signs up with their email address, gets the, you know, the one free one about a week or every couple of weeks that we'll do and, and, um, you know, consider supporting down the line. Like I said, the response has been really great so far. It's been a lot of fun to do and, um, it's early days. So if you join now, you'll, you'll have a big voice and kind of how things go from here. For sure. Now, 
I'm, I'm sure that the folks who are listening who, who, who take advantage of that uh, are going to be hoping to read a lot about UVA because this is obviously a UVA sort of center podcast. Um, before we get into the, the, the sort of Tony Bennett of it all, because, you know, you've you've had a chance to, to really get to know him, you know, over the years. And I, and I kind of want to talk a little bit about sort of where they are and what I think is a fascinating moment for the program. But in general, it seems like a, a really interesting time in college basketball because at the same time that it feels like the 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 sort of um, facility wars that that have been raging for years have now transitioned into the NIL wars of of, to, of today and the future. Right? Used to be that you know you had to have top notch facilities and you needed new this and new that in order to get kids you know their their attentions and and get them on your campus and and to really sort of sell them on the idea basketball, maybe not quite so much, but certainly it played a part because it spoke to sort of the, the, not just the stability of the program, but the potential success, right? Like really good teams don't play in dumps. Really good players don't train in dumps. Right. And now it feels like NIL is such a different um, challenge because kids don't necessarily care if the facility is this or that they would much rather have that money that goes into that, you know, probably in their bank account. Um, and I'm just curious in terms of your sort of angle or in your point of view uh, on from a nationals perspective, how how different is this is this new world really when you compare it to the not too distant past? Because it, it certainly feels like, um, at least from from my seat, that it hasn't gotten too different yet, but we're in the midst of different to the to the to, in the sense that like not too long from now we're going to look back and go oh wow we really did go on a curve you know what i mean how different do you feel like it is or how quickly do you feel like it will it will be before we can look back and see just how dramatically things have shifted yeah i mean look i think it's super dramatic um i am i don't know if i'm one of the only i think i'm one of a few uh writers who have been kind of vocal about the fact that i think it's good like not just good that kids are getting paid. I think a lot of people have come around to that point of view, but that I think uh, it is an elegant solution to the problem of where all this money was going beforehand and that the kids weren't getting any of it. Right. And, and you bringing up facilities is another great point. Like you're competing on facilities because that money has to go somewhere, <laughs> right? Like it, it needs a hole. Um it needs to be put somewhere competitive that gives you an advantage over other schools. And traditionally, most of it goes into coaches salaries. And then you, you go to facilities from there. Um, now it's not a direct one-to-one and it's not like all the money that was being spent on facilities is just getting completely diverted to kids getting NIL deals. But um, I do think you're just seeing a continuation of the same competitive impulse that gets massive facilities built with some very wealthy donors name on them. Right. right. Um, it's just that now it's a kid getting a Ford F one fifty for doing a couple Instagram posts. Um, and it's a, it's a different thing. And I think there are a lot of people who um, grew up with college athletics being a certain way, 20, 30, 40 years ago and have a slightly difficult time getting their head around it. And I understand why, particularly when you combine it with the fact that guys can transfer and be immediately eligible. And you're just essentially creating kind of a, a weird little quasi free agent market in college sports. I, I get why that's difficult, 
But I think if you actually look at it from a standpoint of athletic departments, we're not going to directly pay these guys, at least not yet. And the the financials on that, for as much as people talk about, you know, players being fully employed and um, employee status and players unionizing and all of this stuff, when you actually run the numbers on it, because of the way college athletics works and because football pays for everything else, basically, with, with some help from basketball, depending on the school and the conference, um, you those numbers don't always work out super well. And so I think this is a really elegant solution, much like the Olympics of like, if you're really talented, even if you're not, there's money out there for you. It doesn't come directly from the school. It's kind of by proxy. And it has essentially solved the problem of me feeling like, wow, these kids are are not getting anything for their talent and for their contributions to this massive financial machine that churns on and on every year and generates more and more money. While also like, we don't have to get rid of the men's tennis team now. Um, and so I think it's been actually kind of an elegant solution. And it, despite it being a huge change, I think it's kind of been good for college basketball in a lot of ways. And we can get into that if you want to, but like, I think that there are a variety of, dynamics where you look at it and say, I don't think it's been bad for the sport. I think it's maybe been good for the sport. Yeah. I think I, I tend to agree with you there because it's, it's funny because we, I think for a long, long time, a lot of us thought like, okay, the, the powerhouse, the blue chip programs, they're going to get the, the sort of the best of the best players, right? In basketball, that sort of um, tended to, to, to sort of ebb and flow depending on whatever the, the NBA rule du jour was at the time. Right. It, you know, can guys go straight from high school? Okay, they got to play college ball, or at least they have to wait a year. How long do they have to wait? Is it just a year? Is it going to be two? You know, what are they going to do? Um, but ultimately, I think for a lot of a lot of fans at a lot of different schools, um, in, including UVA, I think the idea was that no, no. But what you can do is you can develop your guys. See, you bring mm-hmm. your kids in, you develop your kids, and now you can play with these guys because then the one and dones they can't they can't do this. What's interesting about this shift has been that the the blue blood programs aren't necessarily the ones that seem to be benefiting the most. It would, it, it almost, it's almost like nonsensical, right? That if you think about NIL money, that the Dukes and Carolinas and Kentuckys aren't necessarily always the teams that have the best opportunities to offer, right? You look at schools like Miami uh, and, a, and, a, and a range of others who have made a lot of hay in a very short amount of time in, in a way that I don't think many folks would have expected um, when this thing really started sort of set, set straight. Because I, I remember thinking early on, man, it, that it was, it was going to be like the waiver wire, right? Kid decides to transfer much like a, like a, a player in the NBA gets cut, right? He's, he's going to get released. Um, they're going to, they're going to cut him. They're going to wave him. And now he gets to decide what, what are my options, right? In this situation, obviously kid decides he's going to transfer. Well, then he gets to see what, what's the market like, Right. And he looks and sees, you know, what NIL opportunities are out there, who, who's willing to offer what much the same way that like NBA teams, you know, would talk to their agent and talk about, OK, you know, there's this, there's that. You know, we've got the the veteran minimum here. We've got this there. You know, we'll do this. Um, you know, here here's your opportunity. In the old days, that that decision was largely based on. One, what was the opportunity for you on the floor? And then two what was the kind of opportunity for the team? And now there's this other opportunity, which is completely off the floor, which in a lot of these cases does seem to be sort of superseding those other two factors. And it's, it, it, like I said, it's a fascinating time for the sport. I tend to agree with you that, that it has been a good thing though. It is hard. I think for a lot of folks to process simply because we just don't know 
who is and who's what. It doesn't like you don't always need to to hear the weatherman tell you it's going to rain to know it's raining, right? Um, the, the reality is you can look at some of these teams and see some of the 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 players they've got and think, okay, clearly there's some nil working here. You don't need actually need to follow the kid on Instagram to know he's the one with the F one fifty, right? Or the you know whatever the um, whatever the arrangement might be. Have there been specific deals that you've heard about that have surprised you? You know, whether it's school, whether it's player, um, what has what has kind of um, maybe been a little bit outside the margins that you've heard or, or seen um, through the first maybe let's call this the initial wave of NIL uh, throughout college basketball? Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the thing that stuck out a little bit this year was how well West Virginia did in the transfer portal mm -hmm. and some of the rumors and rumblings that you heard about what guys there were getting. Um, which, you know, is, is very funny because like all it takes, you know, West Virginia is a good athletics program, right? It's not like, you know, it's not, uh, some random mid-major like West Virginia wants to compete in men's basketball and football, like at a high, high level. But I think this past off season was the one where their, their NIL collective really got going and got running. And so you look at the transfers that they brought in. And the team they retained before Bob Huggins had his DUI outside Pittsburgh when he thought he was in Columbus and he blew a 0.21, which is like an astronomical number to be behind the wheel of a car. Uh, and you are sort of like their, their, their NIL collective, like did the job this year, right? He was going to have as talented a team as he's had in a long time next season. Um, and obviously that team is kind of broken up a little bit because, you know, it's not everything, right? And those guys want to play for, you know, they, they, they want to move around. They have different offers. You know, Trey Mitchell had, a, you know, went to Kentucky. Kentucky needs a big guy. It has a now storied history of stealing West Virginia's best players. Um, and, uh, you know, Oscar Shibway was first and now it's, right. it's Trey Mitchell. But like, right. you know, that West Virginia is the one in this past season where it's like, okay, they've got it. They've got it cooking now. Right. Um, and then obviously, you know, the coach goes away and, and maybe things will fall apart there. Maybe not, but they still retain Caracrisa and Jesse Edwards, the, the big guy from Syracuse. Like they're still going to be pretty good. And I think that probably the deals that those guys signed without knowing a ton of details or, or at least being able to talk about a ton of the details there right, right. probably helped them stay there. Whereas after the Huggins, if, if the Huggins thing had happened five years ago and NIL wasn't a thing yet, they probably would have all been like, all right, sorry, but like, we're leaving. I, I, I admit that I don't talk to as many college coaches as I used to, but tampering seems to be a very real concern literally in every direction these days. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't know if, if, um, players officially announcing you know, deals or their um, representation officially announcing deals would help that. Do you think that there could be some benefit to these things not being sort of in the dark, right? Do you feel like there would be some benefit maybe to the sport in general um, to maybe even potential future players um, for these deals to be public? Or do you think that it's the right thing that they are um, sort of kept off the, uh, off the front page, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, that's tricky. I think, I think, yeah, it would probably ultimately be better for players in that like salary transparency tends to be better for workers regardless. 
you know, not not to get into whole like um, labor politics type of thing. But I think like, you know, when when coworkers talk about how much money they're making on like a collective scale, they tend to um, have a better understanding of of how their workplace operates. But I can also understand if you're like a 19 year old kid and you're getting what you perceive to be a crazy amount of money to play college basketball, you're not super interested in like broadcasting it. Right. So I can get, I can get both sides of it. Um, I I do think the transparency would be good in that, you know, I think there, there have been some deals that people have talked about, particularly I've heard this kind of vaguely with college football. I don't know if it's been as much of a thing in college basketball, but where like there's like some incentives laden, nil stuff and if you don't hit the you know the prescribed amount of whether it's work or i don't know if it's performance related i don't think it's that but like if you don't show up for your five minutes at the dealership the money goes away and so the money that you were actually promised when you went to this school uh isn't there and like whether that's right or wrong that stuff is all very fuzzy and weird and not total. It's not, you know, like MBA salaries where everybody knows what everybody else is making. Why, you know, because they signed in the middle of the exemption three years ago or whatever. So um, it's obviously a very weird and, and sort of uh, uh, opaque world right now. And I don't know that that necessarily helps players, but I can also understand like if I was, you know, a 20 year old who was getting paid, uh, you know, more than a million dollars to play for Indiana or whatever. Like I wouldn't be super eager to broadcast that fact either. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Now, in terms of one of the things that I thought was really interesting in the um, one of your, your, your sort of last pieces um, that you wrote for the athletic before your departure from there uh, was kind of focused on UVA and, and sort of what um, the, all of the, well, not, you know, not every single aspect of sort of all of the things that are in play because you know, it's it's hard to to nail down every single one, but you I think you did a really nice job of covering so much of it because at the same time that 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 Tony and company are losing you know so much experience off the roster, they had two very different transfer decisions that you know I think in your piece you 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 say essentially rocked them right. You had the Trout decision and you had the Shedrick decision. Um, from the outside looking in, the Trout one, of course, is the one that stings the most because you know, here's a guy who was a really talented player and he never played a game for your school. The Shedrick decision at the same time, even though I think for a lot of folks um, who who really were paying attention that latter part of the season, it, it looked like a, a situation where a transfer made sense, right? Here's a guy who was getting starters minutes. Those minutes dried up. Um, he, he couldn't have been happy with that, right? Like I think it's just commonsensical to think that he probably was was looking around, regardless of whether or not, and certainly fans are split on this about, sort of the Vanderplas minutes, the Shedrick minutes, you know, there's a lot of conversation that has certainly happened in the last couple months about, you know, how that all played out, you know, what should Tony have done? What should he not have done? That kind of thing. But Mm -hmm. ultimately those two decisions at a time when the roster was already in flux at a time when NIL is such that it is, I think your piece does a really nice job of, of, of illustrating both the, the ins and outs of all of these other guys that have left Casey and, and Jay Huff, um, and their perspectives are, are, are extremely interesting. But then it also, I think, really does a nice job of sort of shedding a light on the way Tony views this. As you look back on sort of the way Virginia's handled this offseason, including bringing Ron Sanchez back um, as associate head coach, which I think Virginia is the only school that I can at least remember that has two associate head coaches. Um, how would you sort of characterize it in as you look back on it and sort of um, knowing what we know now 
even um, given the way, you know, they've continued to recruit at a high level. They just brought in a, a really talented uh, four-star point guard the other week in uh, Christian Bliss, a kid who is playing pretty well right now at Peach Jam. Certainly feels like that at the end of that thing, it wouldn't. I don't think it would surprise folks if he ends up coming early. But in terms of the the whole thing that's facing Tony and, and his it, what it seems like his plan to essentially double down, did that surprise you when you when you talk to folks for that story? Did it surprise you to hear that that was kind of his takeaway, or is that almost kind of what you expected to hear? once you started sort of sniffing this thing out. No, I, I would have totally expected that from him. I mean, I think he has been very consistent about that from for the last several years. Um, and I think that he is, to his credit, generally to his credit, a stubborn person. In, in a good way, I think I think he thinks and and he I, I mean, he said this, you know, to me before I'm sure he said it to to you to 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 people who are who are down there all the time like. um, He he got into college basketball coaching because he thought I want to do this in my way. Can I do it in my way? And he's been proven that he can like he's he has done. He has built a program that is you know, in a lot of ways, new and forward thinking, but, and adaptable, but is also built on pretty classical principles of like what a college athletics program should be. And it's bringing guys in, developing them, keeping them for a long time, building teams on cycles of two and three and four years. That's sort of the classic model of how you build a program. And I th- I think I wrote about it like two or three years ago at this point um, uh, at an ACC media day shortly after the NIL stuff happened of just like, this is the thing that's going to be the challenge for Virginia because this is not like how Virginia yeah, wants to roll. I feel like that roll. was like fall of 21, right? Yeah. It was just like, this is not how Virginia wants to roll. You can tell yeah. he is not comfortable with this, right? Like you can tell that this is not how he wants to build his program if he could in, in an ideal world, it, it would be, you know, the 1980s and and he could bring guys, you know, and, and he did that for a long time um, in a really effective way. And, and a big part of it is finding the right guys. And I still think um, and this gets to sort of his his view on it and the program's trajectory. I still think he's probably right. I think if you, and I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago for the Substack. I think if you can find the right kids and nail the sort of roster building, and I think you, you have to take fewer guys now and they have to have more codified roles. Um, I think Marquette is a great example of how to do this, right? Like they didn't lose anybody this year. They didn't bring any transfers in. Um, they retained their guys, you know, that they're, they're really good player. You know, Tyler Kolick didn't go transfer to Duke or right. whatever. Right. Um, and because that, you know, Shaka is huge on culture and trust and all the stuff that Tony is, is huge on too. And so I think that, that he's probably right. You just have to find the guys that fit well and that want to stay and that have obvious roles and big minutes and I don't, I, I think one area where he, where he will need to adjust probably, and it, and it gets back to Isaac Trout, is having these guys redshirt and having 
guys competing for minutes in the same way that you did like eight years ago, because I think um, that is what is going to get guys to transfer if they don't think there's a path for them or if they feel betrayed. And I yeah. think that I think that Caden, you know, he didn't tell me this. I am I am um, sort of like surmising on his behalf. I think fundamentally he probably felt betrayed because he took the long path with Virginia. He redshirted, he developed, he got better. Right. And then you bring a guy in over the top of him who's going to play for one year. And eventually, you know, midway through the season, he takes he takes your starting spot. Right. And oh, by the way, he's named after you. I was going to say, and there's a whole, there's a whole, a whole extra piece of that too, which is, you know, family, friends and. Yes. Sort of the which I don't even stuff. think, I just think Tony wants to win games. I think he just thinks, you know, and, and Caden, you know, that they, they, Virginia won a bunch of games after that move was made. Right. Like right. it wasn't right. like it didn't work. And I think he's like, he's a smart guy. You know him. He's a smart kid. Like he, he gets it. Um, but when that happens in 2023, that guy's going to look to transfer. Yeah. I, I think the, the, the thing that, that folks, a lot of folks don't understand about Tony is, is that his stubbornness in his competitiveness are linked, right? Mm -hmm. That his, he, I've heard people tell me that you don't play Tony in anything um, without expecting that he's going to do everything humanly possible to win. doesn't matter if you're playing tennis, doesn't matter if you're playing ping pong, Right. The man is driven to be, he's just competitive and his stubbornness and his competitiveness are, are linked. And so like him doubling down is not a surprise in and of itself, just simply because sort of, you know, his ethos, what he's about, that kind of thing. But it's also not a surprise because the, the reason he was doing it this way all along is because this is the way he thinks is the best way for him to win games. Mm -hmm. So of course he's going to double down on it. I think the, the bit at the end of the story that, you know, he talks about sort of um, the idea of that um, you walk by faith, and and I and I don't necessarily mean to steer this in towards you know sort of the religious context because I know for Tony that is such a central core of who he is, but the idea being that um, it, it that there's a piece of this in a way that almost excites him because the opportunity to do something um, when people count him out seems to to really reinvigorate him in a weird way. Um, I've always said that you could tell how Tony really thought about a team by how like quickly he got crotchety earlier in the season because the, the sooner he got sort of crotchety, the more it sort of pointed to him thinking like, hey, this team has like a real shot to be very good and mm. we need to we need to twist these knobs, right? We need to we need to do this, right? I'm really curious to see how that part of it plays because he he does have a lot of like new fresh faces, right? Mm -hmm. But that but that kind of speaks to something that I'm as somebody, you know, who's, you know, followed this thing from the beginning. The idea that Tony has been so successful in, in these uh, transfer portal recruitments, a lot of these guys are, you know, what they call bounce back kids. Right. Guys who they recruited out of high school, missed out on and then had the opportunity to recruit again. And that pre-existing relationship, because that's just sort of such a central tenant. To, to Tony and his people mm -hmm. like they have such good um, you know, even when they, when they lose out on a guy that, you know, it's really hard to lose out on. They seem to have, you know, such good connections and such good relationships that that has been such a boon for them. And so you look at the number of guys that they've gotten in the portal. And what I find fascinating about it is that at the same time 
that a lot of folks want to say that Tony is too rigid here, too rigid there. He's also able to bring in these kids and have a pretty decent amount of success, right? Like even the national championship team, it would not have been as good as it was without Braxton Key. I mean, he was a mm-hmm. central part of that team. That's not to say every transfer has worked out, but most of the transfers that he's gotten have really produced for them. And so the transfer portal, aside from NIL, aside from you know that, I think in, in some ways the portal has actually been a, more of a, a positive for them than has necessarily been a negative. Though, understandably, you lose Isaac Trout, you lose Caden Shedrick, um, you know, next year's it's it's gonna it's gonna be a real test to see if they can get what they need to out of the guys they've brought in. In terms of the portal, how do you see the guys that they've brought in and and the way that they've sort of retooled that uh, the the roster and the way that that sort of changes a little bit for the launch point of this season, given the you know the lack of experience they're going to have. Yeah, I mean, look, I think over time. He's done well with the portal. I mean, Sam Hauser was a, a great addition in the portal. Um, and uh, the, um, oh my God, that just. You blanked uh, on Trey Murphy? Blanked on Trey Murphy. Yes, Trey <laughs> Murphy, obviously. Like, he's a classic example of like, if you're good, Tony will just play you. And like, because he was, you know, he was supposed to basically sit out that year, right? And then he got eligible because of the pandemic. And it was like, oh, man, Trey Murphy's really good. Like, he's going to play. And we're going to totally reconfigure our offensive system be- to to suit him and Sam and Jay Huff all being on the floor together, right? Um, that's the thing is that, like, it, that was a classic example of, like, you know, he didn't – it's not like he tried to get that team to play some, like – diehard pack line system, <laughs> you know, right. that, I mean, obviously they played the defense they always play, but he wasn't like, they weren't playing mover blocker offense. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, they came out these... some, some, some four out stuff right no, out, of the, five, out of the gate. It was five out stuff. And, and I wrote a story about it at the time about, yeah. um, and Jordan Sperber did a great thing for, oh, yeah, for yeah, yeah. hoops yeah. vision about yeah. like this, you know, sort of esoteric skills coach who developed this weird five out offense that kind of, had some principles that like NBA teams were picking up on and Tony kind of adapted it wholesale and it got kind of weird and he didn't keep it the whole year, but they, they ended up running versions of it the whole year in addition to their usual stuff in the same way that the national title team added an entire offensive style to get them out of just the standard, you know, running, running side ball screen. So like it, it, he is adaptable and he's adaptable to the portal in that same way. Like it's not like he's anti the portal. They've gone out and gotten guys. They like guys. Um, they, they, you know, you can talk to them every preseason and they're excited about the new guys they're bringing in. They're not like downplaying them or saying that, you know, they're going to need to earn their time or whatever They they bring guys in to be starters. Right. Um, so I just think, I think that, there is for what for whatever reason i don't know how to, how how what's the best way to put this there is a sort of resistance to go all in on all this stuff in the way that a lot of coaches have fair and yeah. i don't think that's a bad thing i think that you have to be who you are um but in the short term that adjustment period is difficult because having a guy like isaac trout redshirt is a thing that you know 7 8 10 years ago 
would probably have gone by unnoticed or he would have stuck it out or whatever. Right. And doing that this year, whatever his stated reasons for leaving, um, you know, if he'd been playing 25 minutes a game this year, might've been different. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it's just, you, you, there isn't a, there is a willingness to flex on some of this stuff, but I think the, the things that will frustrate Virginia fans are not going all the way in. But I, I do think you have to, at some level, maintain who you are, or otherwise you just lose the whole thing. Yeah, you lose the whole thread of it. I think you did a really nice job earlier of sort of nailing it, which is the idea of like keeping guys, right? Like it's yeah. okay um, to it's okay to miss on a kid, right? From an eval standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. You thought this kid uh, was going to be this or that, and that just didn't work out. And because right now you can kind of go in the portal and you can sort of fix that. The problem Virginia is going to have is that there are certain guys that you simply you you can't not have in the pipeline because i mean if you think about sort of the season after the national championship team the reason that they were sort of left in the lurch a little bit is cuz nothing in their planning you know was predicated on the idea that three of their guys were going to go early right mm-hmm. maybe one maybe they felt like dre was going to go pro but they certainly didn't think that ty and kyle both would be gone right that they would lose all three of them and for succession planning purposes they just didn't have enough fish in the pond right mm-hmm. and since then what's interesting is is that there were a few years there where when virginia didn't have playing time to sell it was tough for tony to really get in the kind of players he wanted but now because playing time is almost always available somehow because there always are going to be guys leaving and there's just constant um, flux in a way I can almost see it being a positive for Tony in the sense that they're going to be good in the portal because guys are going to leave because guys are leaving everywhere. Right. Mm-hmm. And they've done a nice job of, of bringing in guys and making it work. And they've got the NBA piece of it um, sort of working in the right direction too. But like you said, it's about making sure the guys that you need stay right. Like you need more players like Jay Huff, who, you know, told you for that story, but he never even thought about leaving. Like he understood that this is what it took. You've got to find mm-hmm. those guys with that mentality and hope that those guys don't get other folks in their ears about it. I think Trout, to your point, it would have been fascinating to see him playing, you know, 25, 28 minutes a game and still go back home. Um, mm-hmm. Because and he may, he may, and he may well have so. done that, but, but yeah. it would have been really interesting to see that actually play out because as it stands, you know, it's a whole lot harder. And this is one of the reasons why they don't like to redshirt guys by themselves, right? is the idea that you you it is an incredibly difficult thing to do. And I don't think a lot of fans really get this. And I don't, honestly, I don't think a lot of us in the media do either. But like these guys are used to playing ball. And then all of a sudden, they're just not. And we can talk all we want about, you know, um workout works your workout you're getting in the in the season and the and the time it's not the same. And I think that it would have been really interesting to see him play so many minutes and then still make that same decision. But ultimately they've got to find more guys like Jay who stick it out versus guys who um, kind of go in with the mindset of that. Hey, if, if, if there is a reason for me to change my mind down the road, I certainly can. I'm not going to ever fault a kid for looking for the right opportunity for them, whether that's Isaac or Caden or whoever, right? Like ultimately, mm-hmm. like, and I think that's the, one of the things that has helped Tony and in, in, in his program is that they don't have that mentality, right? They, they're not, they're not folks who, who burn bridges, right? No, they, they don't trash talk guys on the way out the door. Um, you know, even in situations, and there have been some where they probably were justified to do some of that. They just have it. Um, and I think that getting the right guys to stay 
is a is as big a as a, as big as whatever calf futures is going to cook up. But it it sort of points to the sort of chaos of the moment that Maddie Walsh, who was with calf futures when you did this story, she's not even there anymore, right? right. Like it sort of speaks to that this there is just constant flux everywhere, which I think really underscores why Tony went and got Ron Sanchez to fill that spot. You know, because here's an opportunity for him to get a guy who he not only knows, but now he knows has sat in that seat and understands it even more so than he ever has. And the fact that Tony has now had two different assistant coaches come back after being head coaches is just so I I, I try to explain this to people. It's like that just does not happen in most anywhere else. But, you know, you obviously have covered a lot of basketball um, and certainly have um, seen a lot of different stuff in terms of on the court, the mix of, of what at least Virginia will have, the ACC will have as you look around the league in general, what are your biggest sort of storylines? Um, granted, the season is still several months out. Um, is the NIL piece of it and sort of the, you know, who can basically retool the best? Is that is that going to be essentially the the dominant sort of frame through which we look at each season going forward? Or, or are there other storylines that you're sort of really paying attention to in the league, whether that's UVA or anybody else in the ACC this year? Well, no, I mean, I yeah, I agree. I think... Um... I think the ACC's strength as a whole is going to be very interesting to to monitor this year because you sort of look at them a year, you know, look at the league a year ago and it finished seventh in Ken Palm's strength rate strength ratings, like behind the Mountain West <laughs> and behind the Pac-12, <laughs> which which the Pac-12 has traditionally been like the the conference that occasionally finishes behind your you know whatever the the, you know, the, the really good mid-major league is that year. The ACC right. had a really, really bad year last year. And the previous year wasn't great either, but teams, you know, progress in the NCAA tournament. And you spend an entire season, you know, saying the ACC isn't having a particularly good year. And then the NCAA tournament happens and you get a bunch of people yelling at you about it. It happened with the, <laughs> the Pac-12 a couple of years yeah. ago as well. It's just that, you know, the tournament is the tournament. It's crazy and it's kind of not representative of necessarily of what happened before but that that would be my thing particularly given all the realignment stuff that's happening um all of the sort of big 12 wanting to you know get yukon on board or whatever and you know like i wrote about this today i think yukon should stay in the big east but you can kind of understand if they're looking at it and thinking we need to get a better financial situation for the long-term health of, of the athletics program. Where does the ACC kind of fit in that long-term um, in the discussion with UConn, but also the sort of the realignment discussion generally, depending on what happens with the big 10 and the, and the SEC long-term um, all of that stuff is really interesting because ACC basketball has always been the sort of defining piece and the strength of the ACC as a league has always been the defining piece, but that's been a little wayward the last couple of years. So, so it'll be interesting to see. Uh, another one for me is Duke and John Shire's second year. Um, just like is sort of how they played down the stretch indicative right. of him kind of figuring it out gradually as a coach. Yeah. Um, they were much better in year one under him than I expected them to be. Yeah. Um, because I, I full disclosure, I, I kind of dogged that hire a little bit and simply not because I, you know, you know, I didn't, it's not because I didn't think that he could do the job. It's more like you're Duke. Like you should be able to go and get anybody you want. Right. You know, and you're going to turn it over to a guy who's literally never been a head coach. 
<laughs> now, it seems to be working out pretty well for him, and certainly you know, their apparatus seems to continue to be bringing in talent. And clearly he was a big part of a lot of the the talent that they gotten over his course of uh, over the course of the last few years when he's been on the bench, but yeah, he did. They did a much better job with him in year one than I thought. Um, yeah. I mean, especially because like the pressure, I, I can't even imagine what that must have been like. You know what I'm saying? To to come after a legend like that and to to do the what I I I mean, hats off to him for the year they had, honestly. Right, and I you know I from all indications I think you know Coach K is still pretty involved there um you know i don't know if he's in the office every day but but you know it's not like he just vanished and sort of is not around or lingering kind of in the background or whatever so yeah it's not an easy job to take um and i agree you would you would have thought you know duke could go out and hire anyone they wanted but coach k being coach k is going to hire who he wants to hire essentially <laughs> that's a and, very good point and really and good. as someone who took the job a, a chicagoland native who took the job when he was 33 years old i'm sure there are things that he found Jeez. about yeah, john shire yeah. that he could identify with um right. and maybe he's right honestly maybe he's right i personally think coach k is like a once in 100 years coach so i don't think anyone they hired is gonna um replace him or or have the same level of success but if you recruit really well and you put those really good players into a viable system on a yearly basis you can still be one of the you know handful of best teams in in the acc so it'll be interesting to see what he does this year with a team that looks a little bit different a lot of some guys the pros but obviously still has some really talented freshmen coming in um Hubert Davis, very interesting year for him, obviously, yeah, not to just I go down the, say, the traditional he... top of the conference, but like that, that's, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what, where people are going to go with Hubert this year, yeah. depending on how things go. Right. That's another one I dog too, because I just was like, again, you're North Carolina, like you can hire anybody and you just turn to, you know, and again, no disrespect to, to, to Hubert or to anybody else who was an assistant coach at one of these schools, but like you can, you can get anybody. And you turn to somebody who's already there, who's not been, you know, a head coach. I, I, I think that one though is one. I mean, that's a really fascinating whole deal, right? Mm-hmm. For them to run it back and for it to look the way it did, um, and then for them to have sort of the, um, the circumstances, let's call it, uh, around things. Um, I mean, I, it does feel like for him, right, a real make or break sort of season. Because, I mean, I know he's part of the family, and you know, you, you do things for family sometimes that. You wouldn't do for everybody else. I don't know though if if it's another rough season or if it gets you know worse. I don't know. I don't know if they can afford to sort of hang out with him another season to see if he can get it right. I feel like the particulars of of how things sort of um, spiraled a little bit last year, at least in the locker room, and all of the it felt like they were always a little bit weirdly in some turmoil, like yeah. relationship wise. Yeah. And, and I mean, again, I, I've talked, you know, anecdotally with folks who, who know folks who know stuff. And so I'm not trying to, you know, break any news here. It just, it just something, so the vibes were off as the kids would say. Right. Yeah. Um, and it certainly feels like this is a make or break season for him from, from my point of view. What do you, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, completely agree. Like you had people who, um, you know, even as they were riding the high of the, the run to the national title game, weren't super convinced <laughs> And those are North Carolina people and, right. and North Carolina people are, uh, you know, they pride themselves on being 
nice about this stuff yeah, right they're, like they're, yeah, they're fiercely loyal in these yeah they're yeah. they're not like get this guy out of here they're like we love hubert we're not sure if this is going to work out long term you know that that's the tone of it um that i that i gather anyway i don't cover them super closely uh like on a you know a a, a day-to-day or week-to-week level but that that's always been the tone that i've i've gotten i mean i think he did a spectacular job with that team um, getting them to play free and and play open, but the way the personnel changed last year, and then the the yeah, like you you said the the vi- the way the vibes sh- uh, shifted did not help them. And it'll be interesting to see this year because I think they have you know Caleb Love is gone. He transferred twice in one off season, which is truly impressive. Um, and uh, you know the. They they are basically starting from a point of R.J. Davis and Armando Baycott, which honestly, if you put that, you know, you tell someone that those are your two guys that you can start a five with. You're in pretty good shape, you would say. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. For the college game, that's a pretty nice place to start. Yeah. So I I think they have a chance to be to be better, honestly. But um, it is a total make or break year for him. And it's the kind of year where if things go sour. I don't think I don't think North Carolina fans are going to start booing him, but there's going to be an understanding. It's going to be made clear to yeah. Bubba Cunningham and the people in charge that like this is this needs to stop now. And now is the time where, you know, post Matt Doherty, you go out and find the yeah. best best possible coach out there. And and the, the problem is that they don't have another Roy Williams out there. Right. Um, that was a sort of a unicorn thing that when, you know, a few years after Dean Smith, you know, what, five years after Dean Smith retires you can get Roy Williams, who's been having a ton of success at Kansas. That's not right. going to happen this time. Right. But there is a chance to go out and hire who you think is the best, you know, one of the two or three best coaches in the country. I have already kept you longer than I intended, so let me get you out of here on this one. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll finish with a fun one. What's your, what's your favorite um, sort of story you've covered uh, in your career? What's your, your, what's your, your, when you think about it, um, the things that are were the most fun, what's the thing that is like the top of that list? Oh man. I mean, this is going to sound like a, um, an intentionally Homer response, uh, or that I'm trying to get people to sign up for the, for the newsletter, but honestly cover. So like when I started at the athletic, I was doing a lot more sort of quasi local stuff to DC. Um, the company was figuring out kind of what, what it was and what it was doing. And, you know, in a short space of time, I got moved back to kind of national college basketball, but I did cover a ton of Virginia that year. You know, I was, I was there a lot and that year happened to be the national title year. So, um, I was assigned to every round of theirs in the NCAA tournament and covered them throughout and covering that run, uh, the way those last what four game, you know, being at the Purdue game is probably the best. Yeah. That that's the best game, you know, and I've been a, a, a lot of tournament games at this point, a lot of final fours. Um, that Virginia Purdue game is still the best tournament game I've ever seen live. And all of that, that entire run was just a ton of fun, really fun to cover, a crazy story considering what had happened the previous year. Um just a just a blast to to be around and like a total um 
once it was over and I flew home from Minneapolis and like laid down for a day, I was like, Oh my God, like I need like a week. I need like a week of vacation. And I'm sure you could probably identify. No, that I was going to well say, I, us, you know, look at us with our, with our, with our career highlights, right? Here to, I didn't go to, page. I didn't go to, I didn't go to UVA or, you know, and, and I've covered, right. you know, I've covered a lot of other stuff that's been really interesting, but like, I didn't go to UVA. I have no rooting interest here really. Um, except that it was a good story, but like, I remember yeah. just being like emotionally exhausted by the, it was, I re- yeah, I remember being on the plane and there was a guy sitting to my right who was reading the newspaper. Um, and it had a picture of Tony holding the net up and I was just like, that really happened. Like the whole, yeah, right. It was those last few weeks. Um, everything from, I mean, hell it started, you know, in Columbia, you know, and I don't know if you, if you were there for that one, but I mean, uh-huh. they're, they're down already and it's going to happen again. I mean, you know, I remember Jason Williford telling me, he's like, nobody, everybody was focused on, you know, oh, you were a, a one that lost to a 16. Nobody was focused on well, what happens when you're the only one that's ever done this and it could do again. Like nobody uh-huh. knew what that pressure was like. And At halftime, watch- I was like, they're going to do it again. This is, <laughs> this is a disaster. Like I, I, I was nervous on their behalf. Oh, just because I, yeah, I would have felt them, terrible for them. Yeah. Like just so awful for them. Like imagine you do that twice to, Trust me, I, as somebody who has a message board, I was very much imagining that man. That that <laughs> for for most of that first half, I was like, okay, it can't be, but so bad, right? Like pe- some people would just sort of give up, right? Like because I mean, after UMBC, the thing was in absolute shattered, just mm-hmm. shambles. You know, it was terrible. But no, it 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 that whole ride, that whole season, um, you know, because of every, you know, it didn't matter where they were, um. You know, the UMBC stuff never left them. And I, I just think that they were so unapologetic about facing it. And then it just got on their nerves. You know, mm-hmm. they started out humble um, and they certainly clearly learned a lot from it and they weren't afraid of it. But, man, it just it really pissed them off by the end. Well, um, that's the th- that's the thing with the with the way the tournament is covered. And particularly when you get to the final four later in the tournament is you have a ton of people who do not cover college basketball on a yearly basis that show up. And so that's their question. Right. That, that's yeah. the thing they the know about you. low hanging fruit. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and you've heard it 8 million times already. You were talking about it in December when you beat some mid major at JPJ, right? Like you, someone asked you about it then. Right. And it was yeah. mi- mildly irritating then. Now it's March and you've, you've talked about it 8,000 times. Months. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, no, they, they definitely got <laughs> a bit annoyed by it by the end, but yeah. um, you know, it, it, it was, a very fascinating year and a half of whatever in the life of a basketball team. And I still think that looking back, the adaptations that, that Tony made tactically don't yeah, yeah. maybe get enough credit for Dude, like the continuity ball different... stuff. Oh my yeah. gosh. Like, you and, know, and you... Kihei, Kihei, you know, Kihei caught a lot of stuff. Um, there, I remember there are people being wanting Jay Huff to play instead and, oh, and yeah. like go big. But Kihei was the guy who made sure that UMBC couldn't happen again because you couldn't have these little five, five, six guards shooting from 25 feet away yep. that, that Kyle that extra and, ball handler and on the floor changed everything for him. That's right. Yeah. 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 And, and then, and then, you know, Tony being able to basically sort of um, Jekyll and Hyde, Dre and, and Braxton really, mm-hmm. I, I think people don't understand just, you know, what's, what sort of mismatches that created for them. Cause on one end of the floor, they could play them one way and on the other end of the floor, they could kind of flip them. And that, that really did open up a lot of opportunities because those guys were similar in some ways, but different in other ways, the way that those t- two kids fit. You, but I mean, you know, like you said, there, there was so much more 
about that season uh, and about that group. I mean, you know, the way it played out where you have, I mean, because if you think about it, if if Kihei's pass is not perfect and Mamadi doesn't hit that shot to send him to overtime, I mean, Tony, you talk about stubborn Tony. I mean, they didn't play Dre for a good part of that, that game against Purdue, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I remember sitting there thinking, like, they're actually going to lose this game with a guy who is undoubtedly a lottery pick sitting on the bench. And yet yeah. then he comes in in the, in, the, in, in the extra session and he makes the plays he made. And then to think about, like, you know, where they went from there, right? Kyle in the free throws, you know, you've got Dre in the championship game. I mean, it just, it was, it was one of those stories. Um, I, like I said, like I said earlier, I joked that, you know, career highlights, but I mean, we could watch, I mean, I don't know how many tournaments, I mean, that's not to say there aren't great stories. There always are, but because of that, you know, the way that one started the year before, um, you know, we probably won't see anything like that, uh, ever again, simply just because of the, the right, the right uh, strike a lightning at the right time, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I, I think the way that team grew um, together is the kind of thing that, you know, that was the swerve that Tony figured out in the sort of one and done era. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was, that was like the apotheosis. That, that was like the, the high water moment. And yeah. obviously things changed very quickly thereafter. And now, you know, um, the goal is to to get to to get back to that, and and like I said, I think my views are evolving on that. I think it's possible. I think even when I wrote when we wrote the story, um, you know, uh, back in May, I'm not sure that I, I was probably even a little bit more skeptical. Like this guy needs to change a little bit more. He's being too stubborn now. But I think looking at Marquette and looking at Michigan State are like two examples this year of teams that are just like the coaches just don't want to deal with transfers. And if they can retain their guys, if they like those guys, they'll be in good shape. And Marquette had a great team last year, and they're going to be really good again this year. And I think that that is also the next possible swerve. If you really go all in, you get your evaluations right, and you keep guys, you can you can win in this era, even when it feels like things are kind of falling apart a little bit. Yeah. Well, even thank you very much for, for giving me uh, so much of your time um, this evening. I really appreciate you coming on the show talking hoops um, in the uh, the dead of summer, so to speak. Um, so really appreciate the time, and um, we'll catch up with you down the road, brother. Thank you very much. Loved it, Brad. Thank you very much. If you are someone who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or wherever it is that you get your shows. And if you're so inclined to give us a rating or review, we appreciate it. If you're somebody who's given us a look at the pod, or excuse me, if you're somebody who has not given us a look at the website yet, check us out at CapsCorner.com. Lots to to digest uh this is we're right on the cusp of um a football season and while you know um we certainly uh we certainly have a lot um that goes on during the off season but the the wheel will start turning very soon and the off season uh countdown um will commence so give us a look at the website capscorner.com i want to thank all of you out there for supporting the show and of course i want to thank even brendan for coming on the show and talking to us about hoops there for a lot longer than i expected so for you, Ben Brennan, I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.